Thank you, guys. It is one of my all-time favorite songs, How Great Thou Art. This morning, as we begin the new year, we begin to uh, take a look at a new series. A new series of sermons, a new uh, series that will in some ways affect the rest of the year. I don't know how many of you were around and remember when we talked about the covenant of God, how much it invaded everything we talked about for that year. Um, This year, we're going to take up a a recognition that the character of God is the primary issue in the scripture. That we as selfish human beings get on the freeway and we think everybody out here is in my way. We open up the Bible and we think, oh, this is about me. The reality is the Bible is for you. It's written to you, but it's not about you. So let's just let yourself down on that point as we get started. It's just not about you. It's not about sin either. Sin is one of the primary issues in Scripture, but the Bible is not about sin. There's lots of discussion of what happens as a result and the interactions of people whose lives have been destroyed or or disrupted by sin, but the Bible is not about sin. Sin's one of the issues, and it's one of the primary things that gets discussed, and really God is helping us understand what he's doing about it, but the Bible's not about sin. This next one might be a little harder for you to believe, but think about it for a sec before you do, before you shoot at me. The Bible's not about Jesus. Jesus is the primary revelation of the character of God. But the content of Jesus' actions are still a revelation about God. That Jesus pre-existed his entrance into human life and interacted with people within the scriptures from page one to the end is part of the revelation of the character of God. So let me see if I can, uh, I can start you out on the right page. Page one, line one says, in the beginning, God. And that is the subject of the entirety of the text. The issue in the text is God. More specifically, a revelation of the character of God. A revelation of who God is. And I want to just start you off in Genesis chapter 3, because that's where the mess really gets started. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. God is misrepresented. Is that true? As soon as we get Adam and Eve made, the next story we hear. So we have, we have the creation of the world, and we have the, the beginning of life of mankind on the planet. And then it says, now the serpent was more cunning than the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And you immediately begin to ask the question, what's this God you're claiming to follow really like? Is he trustworthy? Is he really a good God? Is he really all that he claims to be? The text goes on, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We made of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. We've already discussed this, but just a reminder. If a snake ever starts talking to you out of a tree in your backyard, go away. (laughs) This is not a time for a conversation. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. First accusation, God is a liar. You're not actually going to die. Can you? Come on. Come on, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Woohoo, that was a great day for us, wasn't it? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, contrary to what God had said, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband. Genesis chapter 3 tells us what the story is about. The story is that God's character has been misrepresented. Fear enters man in just a couple of verses later. Verse 8, the curse of sin comes to man in verse 17. They're cut off from the tree in verse 24. And they're informed that from the dust that they were taken and to the dust they shall return. Genesis chapter 3. Who is at issue in Genesis chapter 3? What are the problems in Genesis chapter 3? Sin has entered the world through the window of a question about God's character. Revelation chapters 21 and 22, God is vindicated. Trust in God is restored. The curse is taken away. Access to the tree of life is granted once again, and death shall be no more. The beginning of the story is here the problem. The end of the story is here is the solution. The middle of the story is the explanation of how we got to that solution. Do you buy the premise of my argument? That the real issue in the scripture is the character of God. That the real issue to decide in the world, in life, is the character of God. Can God be trusted? Can God really, is God really all that he says that he is? The Bible has lots of things to describe God's character. He's graceful. He's merciful. He's wise. God is love. God is compassionate. God is powerful. God is intimate. God is caring. God is for you. Over and over again, it describes God in all of these ways. But is it true? The question for mankind is, it, is, the, is the question of the character of God. Is it true? The serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field. And what does he say? Did God say you're not going to get to eat of every tree? If you ever want to start with somebody and you want to, want to weasel into their thinking about something, you never start with a direct frontal attack. You always start with something a little more subtle. Any good salesman knows you start with a little bit more subtle statement about the new car. Oh, it's the beginning of the new year. You're looking at cars. Isn't that great? Wouldn't it be great to start out the new year with a new car? Let's go look. What are you thinking about today? Have you any particular model in mind? Oh, I have one here. 
what exactly, how big is your family? And you start asking about other things. You start working around the issue to try to get at the core. The devil starts out with, wow, you know what I heard? I heard this rumor. I heard this rumor that God said you couldn't eat of all the trees in the garden. Is that really true? Does he know whether this is true? Of course he does. He's just a weasel. A snake, actually, more appropriately. And the the woman then describes what she believes to be the truth. The Bible doesn't actually say that they were told not to touch the tree. God may have told them this, or Eve decided to put an extra boundary around this thing so that she wouldn't get into trouble. We don't know for sure, but it's common for us to do this, isn't it? It's common for us to put a little extra boundary around something that's scary for us or something that we think might cause us a problem. I had a friend who was trying to quit smoking and he just couldn't. He just couldn't. He loved smoking. He smoked since he was a little kid and he was in his 50s at the time. And he just couldn't imagine life without cigarettes. He just couldn't think of how he would go through the day because it was not something he practiced and thought about. It was just something he did. It would be like cutting off his right arm. He just he just couldn't do it anymore. And so try and try and try and try and try as much as he could. He couldn't get it done. So he decided that he was going to take a couple weeks off work, which we usually don't recommend when you're trying to quit smoking. Stay in your routines because it helps for you to change those routines. But what he decided was he was going to take a couple weeks off work. And every time he had an interest in a cigarette, he'd go take a shower. Because he figured accurately that he could not smoke in the shower. There's a little problem with fire and water there. And so literally he said, man, I took 30 showers a day. He said I was constantly in the shower, but I didn't smoke. He had built a little wall around this thing to try to get himself through. He made it through on the other side of those showers day after day after day. He eventually became a former smoker. It is within our nature to sort of build boundaries around things, to try to to build a a little wall of separation, to give ourselves a a leg up on things. And I think Eve may have just done that. She may have simply said, oh, man, we can't eat of that tree and we're not even supposed to touch it. Because the Bible doesn't support her statement there. And so she may have just added a little bit to it. The servant said to the woman, you're not actually going to die. Is he right? Kind of. Does she drop dead as soon as she bites the apple? Nope, she doesn't. In fact, that was one of the questions. That, again, I tell you, kids ask great questions. This is one of the questions the kids ask all the time. Wait a minute, she didn't actually die. And you have to say, wait, she did actually die. She just didn't die in that moment. She didn't die right on the spot. She did actually eventually die. You know, she was never intended to die at all. And you were never intended to die at all. Death is the stranger in your heart. It's not normal. It's only normal because of sin. It's only normal because of the fall. It's only normal because of this stinking bit of fruit. It's probably durian. It was cursed after she ate it. You will, oh, those of you who have been to the, to the Far East and you've eaten durian, how did you do that? No close pit. It's pudding inside. I know it's pudding inside, but it's gross outside. It's dead flesh. A side story. You will not surely die, he said, for God knows. And this is where the hook starts. You're not actually going to die. But God knows that in the day you eat it with 
eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like what? God, knowing good and evil. And you think about this, you will be like God thing over and over and over again. This has been the catch for human beings again and again. We keep coming back to this. Is there some way I get to be like God? Is there some way I could be like God? Is there somehow that I can manage to get okay and, and, so, and so good that I can actually be like God? I can, I can actually be God? There are certain religions who actually teach it. There are certain religions that say, if you walk the path long enough and you get good enough, then you actually get absorbed into Godhood. You get to be God. There are religions who teach that after you leave this planet, you get a planet of your own. You get to go out there on your own little planet, hang out, and be a God, and have God babies forever. There are religions who teach this exact fact. It's crazy. You get to be Like God. And this is the most honest thing he says. How will you be like God, Eve? After today, you will know both good and evil. It all starts with a question of the character of God. The Bible says God is love. But every time something happens, something horrible happens, what does the insurance call it when a hurricane blows through your town? An act of God. Some, some war takes place in some country and you find out that, you know, 6,000 people were killed yesterday by some crazy terrorist. What do people say? If God is love, why did he allow this? That's a question about the character of God. If God is love, if God is caring, if God is interested in me, why did this happen? Why did my grandmother die? Why did my kid die? Why did my... Family lose everything? Why did my parents divorce? Why, 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 why? It's a question about the character of God. The question, the why that we ask is about the character of God. And we have to understand that we're right back in the garden, standing in front of the tree, and we're being faced with a question, is God trustworthy or is he not? The whole point of the scriptures from beginning to end is to demonstrate what can't just be stated. You've got to love third grader arguments. Third graders would argue over something like this for days. And you know what they say. You're a liar. Am not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Are not. Are not. Are not. Are not. They can go on for hours like that. Do you believe anybody in that argument? How do you decide who's right? The one who's yelling the loudest? The one who enunciates the most clearly? Am not. The character of God has been questioned. And the only way to answer that question is for demonstration of the fact that he is loving and caring and merciful. And that his power is available to you. The only way that question could be answered is by a demonstration of the facts. You couldn't just shout out into the night, I am not. And expect anyone to believe you. The cornerstone of salvation, therefore, is trust. The cornerstone of salvation is trust. 
The question God is constantly asking is, will you trust me? Do you have faith in me? Will you believe me? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Over and over again, the Bible comes back to, will you or will you not trust me? Because that's what was lost in the garden. Faith in God. And what is to be regained by the person who will eventually follow after God? Faith in God. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. By what did they gain approval? By faith. By faith. By trusting in God. This becomes the cornerstone of Paul's theology of righteousness by faith. Hebrews goes on to to start naming a few of these people and to start describing what's happening. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. We have turned nature into science. We have said the only way to understand nature is by science. The Bible says, you know how you understand nature? By faith. There's nothing anti-biblical, or there's nothing anti-science in being biblical. There's nothing anti-science in being biblical. What you have to understand about a biblical faith is that when you come to that point where you don't have an answer for the next question, you simply said, and God did it. And the scientist pulls out his hair. And he says, you can't just throw God into the equation all the time. You've got to have some math. You've got to have some physics. You've got to have some theory. Come on, you've got to have something more than it. God did it. And the person of faith says, mm, no, don't, I don't. I'm good here. Because I trust in who God is. Here's the deal, though. Don't decry science's discoveries. Don't decry what science is learning. Because in those things that they're discovering, you're discovering the orderly hand and the power and majesty of God. You want to blow your mind in terms of your faith? Get a really powerful microscope and start looking at stuff. It'll just blow you out of the water when you consider the complexity of things that are so, so tiny. Or if you want to go in the opposite direction, get a really nice telescope and look out into the sky and consider how big it is out there. How ordered. And again, how complex. And you have to ask yourself, can I really understand God? The character of God is questioned by scientists, but not necessarily by science. The person of faith needs to cut the scientist a little bit of slack and recognize it's very frustrating for them when you don't do the math. When you simply say, yeah, I, I just believe that God did that. You have to then sit down with them, hold their hand while they, when they finish crying. Say, this is how I came to that conclusion. This is how I came to trust him like this. The issues in the earth have to do with whether or not God can be trusted. That's the only issue that really counts. From it, all, all the rest flow. 
Trust has always been the key. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. By what? By faith. God had apparently told him what to do. He believed what God told him, what, told him and he did it. So he trusted God. Get that? Simple one, two, three. You get the process? Next, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. How did Enoch end up being translated? Faith grew. He got to the point, as, a, as one preacher said, and I've shared with you before, where he and God were walking along. God said, we're closer to my house than yours. Let's not go back. He walked with God. And his faith was such that he just trusted God completely. And God said, all right, let's just let's try this next thing. By faith, Noah, being warned of the flood, built an ark. We talked about Noah. This is a massive act of faith. God said, there's going to be a flood. It's going to be a long time from now. You better start working on the ark. A what? An ark. Okay. Whatever you say, Lord. And he starts building a massive boat. Massive boat. And he's never seen water fall from the sky in his life. By faith, Noah, being warmed of a flood, built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed God when he called him to leave his home. And he wandered off to a place that he did not know. God said, Abraham, leave your home. I'm not going to tell you where you're going until you get there. And, God, and Abraham said, okay. You won't drive out of your driveway till Siri or somebody says where you're going. <laughs> Abraham walked away from Ur of the Chaldees into the wilderness, not knowing where he was going to end up. Why? Because he trusted God. By faith, these people heard God speak and said, okay, I'll go. I'm in. Why are they listed in the scriptures? Because they're a demonstration of what it means to trust God. And more importantly, they're a demonstration that it works. When Noah got the ark done, the animals came. And when the ark was closed, the flood came. By faith, he built the ark. By fact, he floated away. By faith, Abraham wanders off into the desert, not knowing where he's going. By fact, he ends up in the holy land, the promised land that God would give his descendants. By the way, at the time, he had zero. By faith, they acted, and in fact, God showed up. And you know it's true in your own experience. Why are they listed in the scripture? Because they're testimonies to the character of God that he can be trusted when he speaks. I want you to read the Bible this year. I want you to start over in Genesis again. And I want you to start looking through the pages and asking yourself, how is the character of God revealed here? How is the character of God revealed in this story? How is the character of God revealed in this, in this incident? And there'll be some where you'll go, I don't know. This one seems like the wrong, the opposite end. It's okay. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Eventually, you will begin to gather enough information. You'll begin to gather a big enough picture that the character of God will become clearer and clearer and clearer. Are you in for reading through the scriptures this year, searching for the character of God as it is revealed in the pages? Can you do that? Maybe it'll be the first time ever. Maybe this is the first time you'll ever go through the Bible. Cool. 
Maybe this will be the 31st time. It doesn't really matter. But go through the Bible this year looking to understand how the Bible reveals the character of God. Because the opening question of the Bible is, can God be trusted? And the final answer in the Bible is yes. And all the pages in between are demonstrations of those facts. Nationally, Israel is faced with, can we trust God? Individually, people are faced with, can we trust God? And still, everybody in this room is faced with the same question when you roll out of bed and with the impetus to pray, can we really trust God? Can I lay this on his hand? When the burdens are big, can I lay my big burdens on his, on his hands? When the people are close to you, can I lay my, lay my best friend on his hands? Can he be trusted? The character of God is the question of the scripture. The answer at the end is yes. And all the stories in between are evidence. They're lines of material and interest and evidence that tell you nationally he can be trusted. Individually he can be trusted. Specifically he can be trusted. Look what he did here. 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 And oh, by the way, look at Jesus. Do you realize the greatest revelation of the character of God is not theology, it's biography? The greatest revelation of the character of God is not theology. It's biography. What happened? He showed up one day. Christmas. And he lived on the planet for 30 years. And he went about ministering to people for three more years. And we got to see the heart of God pumping in the streets of Galilee. We got to see the hand of God reaching out to people in the streets of Jerusalem. We got to see the reaction of God in all sorts of circumstances. The greatest revelation of God is not theology, it's biography. And the greatest revelation today is not theology, it's biography. It's your biography. It's my biography. It's why the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Why? Because your testimony, your biography, is the statement to the person sitting next to you in the carpool, the person standing next to you at work, the person sitting next to you in the lazy boy. Your biography is the testimony for the character of God for the people you interact with. Your biography. You know, my friend, he trusted God and God showed up. You know, my friend, he prayed and God showed up. You know, my friend, she had this huge problem and she brought it to God and he showed up. It's amazing. The greatest revelation of the character of God is and always will be biography. Yours and mine. As Chris said this morning, when you read the biographies of great people of faith, there's an underlying story that keeps flowing through. You keep seeing it over and over. This happened, he prayed, and what God did was amazing. And the people without faith, all the exploits are on them, according to them. What I accomplished here, what I did there, man, am I awesome. And the people of faith say, what God did here and what he accomplished there, man, is he awesome. It is impossible to please God without faith. Because anyone who wants to come to him must believe. You can stop right there. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. That may sound like really basic fundamental thinking, but start where you have to start. Logic always begins with a premise. If you're going to have Faith, if you're going, to, if you're going to, to actually follow God, you have to believe that God actually exists. You're going to have to believe 
that there's a God. And that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You know what the reward is? They find him. He rewards those who seek him by, fi- by letting himself be found. He rewards those who sincerely seek him because they find him. And then they look at their friends and they go, you will not believe what happened to me the other day. I didn't know if I was going to buy it with God or not or whether I was believing it or not, but I was going down the road and I said, all right, God, okay, I've decided if you're real, I need some kind of demonstration. If you're not, this is the point. And he showed up and they're blown away. And their friend's like, wow. Why? Because the greatest revelation of the character of God is biography, not theology. Paul will systematize our understanding of God, but the greatest revelation of God is still Jesus' record in the Gospels. The Apostle Paul gives us a great handle on how this stuff works, but the greatest revelation of God is still the Gospels. And the gospel being written today keeps being written in you. He walked along with the apostles. And then he left so he could send the Holy Spirit and walk with everybody. The issue of the cosmos is can God be trusted? And it's kind of getting settled out there in the cosmos. When the devil first shouted into the, into the light, there should be darkness. When the devil first shouted into the ears of the angels, you can't trust God. And he began to, to break down in the hearts of some of them their faith. And he started this great avalanche of murderous Sinful destruction. The question that went out was, can God be trusted? And every time you do what you do to the glory of God, you spray a little light into that darkness and you say yes. Every time you live, every time you choose, every time you pray, every time your faith reaches out for action, You spray a little light into that darkness and you declare, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Consider your favorite text for a minute. If I could have gotten the printer to work this morning, I would have read 25 of them, but I couldn't get the printer to work. So mercifully, you're only going to get a handful. But consider the words of your favorite texts. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This passage is about the character of God. This is about a God who who wants to give you hope and a future. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. How did it get to be a favorite? Because it speaks to the heart and character of God. Psalm 23, you could read the whole psalm here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. What is that talking about? It's talking about a God who can be trusted. You can lay your life out with him and he'll take care of you. He'll lead you beside the still waters. He'll restore your soul. 
He'll bring you into green pastures. It's a statement about the fact that you can trust God. This is David saying, I've been trusting God and this has been my experience. He's been an awesome shepherd to me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is about God. This is about his character and his support. Him being in your life engaged. It's, say, it's saying plainly, I can trust God. I can trust God. Isaiah chapter 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Why? I am God. And I'm on your side. I'm for you. And if God is for us, Who can be against us? The scripture is laden with these texts that we keep drawing out as favorites. Why do these make the top 25? Because they speak to the question that aches in our heart. Can God be trusted? And the text says, yes, he can. Look, I'll show you how it happened for me. Yes, he can. Let me show you what happened for me. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And they make the top of our list because they demonstrate the faithfulness of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. He's not going to abandon you no matter what your experience. He's going to walk with you through it. Remember the missing passage in the story of the prodigal son. He runs out to meet him on the path. And he walks him all the way back to the porch. He doesn't leave us out on the path where he finds us. He walks us home. These passages declare that God is worthy of trust. A little old woman shows up one day with two little mites and she throws them in the treasury and people are putting millions in the treasury. She throws in her two little mites and Jesus gathers the disciples and he says, did you see that act of faith? What are you talking about? I don't see what you're pointing at. The old woman right there, did you see what she just did? She threw in her last two mites. And you know what she said when she did that? She said, what happens to me now, God, is up to you. I will throw myself on your mercy. I will believe that you will not abandon me. I will trust you. And Jesus gathered his disciples. And God gathered the angels. And they looked at this life and they said, look, she trusts us. I can hardly believe it, but she trusts us. The question that God has for you and me every day is, are you going to trust me today? Are you going to trust me? As the heavens look down and the angels are gathered to watch what happens on this lonely little blue speck. The question of the day is, are you going to believe the devil's lies or are you going to believe God? 
Are you going to believe what he said about himself? Are you going to believe what he's demonstrated in Jesus? Are you going to believe what he's shown you throughout the Bible or not? Are you going to trust me? Those who say no will have the aching problem of having to figure out how to deny God's presence for the rest of their life. Those who say yes have taken the first step towards finding the answer for every other question. So as we start 2015, I think we should just ask the question, am I going to trust him? Am I going to really do it this time? Am I going to be all in to trust God today? It's a new year. You get a fresh start. Symbolically, we get to get to wipe the slate clean and start over. Are you going to lay it all on the line and trust Him today? Are you going to trust Him? Take His hand and walk with Him. Let's pray.